The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and podcast are produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts and related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everyday-wealth. The 20 2021 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2021 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Hey, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and you are listening to Everyday Wealth. My partner in crime, Jean Jatsky, she's on vacation. I hope she's having a really nice and relaxing time, and we're bitterly jealous, Jean. She's going to be back next week. The show, of course, is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. And so every week, we get to hear from EFE Wealth Planners. This week, we're joined by Brian Leslie. He's a wealth planner from Omaha, Nebraska. Brian obviously has been on the show a whole bunch of times, always has really great Great advice for our listeners. So, Brian, welcome back. Always nice to see you. How's your summer going? Good? It is going great. Thanks for having me back. We uh, just returned from a trip to the Smoky Mountains. So that was the national park that we hit for this year. Look at everybody going on vacation but me, huh? <laughs> Do I sound jealous? Yes. So we were talking, Brian, with uh, Andy Smith last week, and he said something that I really liked hearing, which was, this is when these times, these crazy, tumultuous times, is when your financial advisor is earning their fee. And if they're not, find somebody else. Like, he was super, super blunt about it. And I thought that kind of candor and accountability and, frankly, just pure bluntness, which is very Andy, was kind of what everybody needs to hear at this moment. Yeah, you know, Andy's awesome. I've known Andy for a long time. He's always taken the next level for his clients. But I, I think the point here is there's 300 plus advisors that we have throughout the nation that give that same straightforward, no-nonsense, approachable type of advice that Andy gave last week. And the point is, we don't have proprietary products that we're trying to sell. All of our advisors' compensation comes from the value of your account. So if your account's going up, great, they're making more. If your account's going down, they're making less. So they're worried about the same things that you are as an investor. So if that's what you're looking for, give us a call. 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com. Yeah, I think that straightforward approach of like, hey, people have to be helping you and working with you and you should be happy with it or find somebody else. I think that's really, really smart. So we have a really great show today. Last week, we talked about the emotional, the very, very emotional side of money, especially when times are tough and stress is very high. And so I thought this week we would talk about very specific actions that people can take when you're in a down market or a bear market that could help, you know, everybody get through this time. Before we get to that, though, I've asked Jake Novak to join us today to get his take on financial headlines. Jake has been the executive producer of financial news TV programs and editorial columnist, a podcaster. 
He's been a political analyst for 28 years. Jake, again, no one can see your face because this is radio, but like you look like you're 28 years old. Uh, He's created successful shows, including CNN's In the Money program with Jack Cafferty and Varney and Company at Fox Business. He was also an executive producer and senior editorial columnist at CNBC for many years. Welcome, Jake. Nice to see you. So let's start with inflation. 9.1%. That number is big and scary. I, I remember inflation very well back from when, when it was in the 14, 15% number back in the early 1980s and, and 1970s. But throughout my career in financial news, which started really in the late 90s, we have not been dealing with numbers anywhere near close to even 3%. Now we're at 9%. And if you're under the age of 50, you have no memory None. of any real inflation number that mattered unless, you know, you saw one or two things in your everyday life, something that you saw that where the prices were going up. This is such a new shock for a lot of people. I mean, if you think about it, back in 1981, right, like that's hearkening back to <laughs> the wedding of Charles and Princess Di. Like that was a long, long, long time ago. And I think oh, you're right. A lot of people in the market who are new to the market, just weren't around. I mean, I remember my parents talking about and being a little panicked about inflation in the early 80s because, you know, five brothers and sisters, kids you had to send to college, kids you had to kind of figure out, like, where we're going to be able to get jobs. And they, it wasn't something that I really fully understood as a kid, but I definitely understood my parents' anxiety happening around it. Yeah, I mean, listen, we remember that, but so many people don't. And because there are so many people who don't and they're shocked by these numbers, I think there are a lot of elements out there that are looking to take advantage of that with people uh, and not in a good way. Uh, I'm hearing a commercial on a lot of radio stations right now, and it sounds like Sam Elliott. They deliberately got a guy who sounds just like him, and he's selling disaster food supplies. You know, this is this food will last for 25 years, and he's talking about it. And, you know, they sell it in like one month supply, and I'm thinking like, if we're going to have this kind of a disaster, I need more than a month. Is the apocalypse only going to last a month? I can deal with that. You I know, can put it, that in my freezer yeah. if it's just a month. I don't need it to be like it's, canned supplies forever. If you're buying any of it, you need to buy all of it. It's one of those reasons why, boy, it's it's good that there are financial advisors out there. There are going to be people who are going to take advantage of this, whether they're selling something or they're trying to get ratings for a new show or whatever it is. Go to your financial advisor. Go to someone who can tell you there are ways around this and there are ways to deal with it. How do we know or have a good educated guess about what the Fed's going to do. We hear raising rates 0.75 or 1%. And and of course, I'm always curious, like, is that already priced into the reactions people are having? Is it not priced into it? How do we know? Well, I'm going to give away the, the worst kept secret in the world. Of course, the Fed looks at what the stock market does. The stock market likes to send messages to the Fed. So we've had in the last couple of uh, days some rallies in the markets, which must be emboldening Jay Powell and the rest of the Fed to make themselves believe we're doing the right thing. We feel we've got the support from the markets. We can continue to do what we're doing or we're, we're about to finish. So I think that we're more likely, for example, you talked about whether it's going to be 0.75, a percentage point or a full percentage point. I think that he's going to want to go out with a bang with this and they're going to go for the full percentage point because the markets are giving them a little bit of applause. You're saying, well, you know, it seems like you're doing the right thing. We don't want you to keep raising rates forever, but it looks like we're coming out of what you've been doing so far. OK, how do you think that heat wave in Europe? I mean, there was a report the other day about the tarmac. I think it was in London that that they had to close down the airport because the tarmac started melting. And of course, we've seen videos of, of 
literally cities you know, inflamed, engulfed in flames. Um, I was watching a guy in Spain who had been digging a ditch to try to, you know, that's one of the ways they stop fires from spreading. Right. He was the ditch digger guy. It didn't work. And you can see him sprinting across a field of like wheat um, and the fire right behind it. it. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying to watch. How does all that play into what we're seeing in the market? Well, it's the last thing they need in Europe right now. And there's there's two aspects of this, one which will not affect the United States so much and one that will. Um, it's the last thing they need because you, you mentioned the, the wheat field where the fire was. Already food prices are higher. And even if you don't have fires in areas where there's agriculture, obviously the, the incredibly hot weather hurts crops. And Killing that's him, yeah. the last thing they need right now. It's also the last thing they need right now because that means they're going to need more energy to fuel air conditioners and things like that. And they're dealing with this threat of a cutoff of natural gas from their biggest natural gas supplier being Russia. Now, that part will affect the United States more because when it comes to energy, it is a global market. So we're seeing big spikes in natural gas prices, which are affecting here, us here in the United States just when we want those air conditioners running and things like that. Our gas prices are coming down. Well, why is that happening at a time when there's so much other bad news? Well, gasoline prices came down for the most part because even though the markets, the investors are a little bit less worried about severe recession than they were just a few weeks ago, they still believe there's going to be an economic slowdown. And when you have an economic slowdown, the demand for gasoline and, and, and particularly uh, petroleum goes down. And, and that brought down the price per barrel lower than $100 a barrel just a few days ago. We're back there again, sort of. But it's not, it's not, it's not at the $121, $130 barrel level. And that brought down gasoline prices. Still at historic highs, still well, well over $4 a gallon national average. But natural gas prices are still rising. And uh, listen, I love natural gas. It's 50 percent cleaner than coal. It's abundant. The countries that have it are, by the way, are dealing with a lot less inflation. If you're a country with a lot of natural gas, your inflation numbers are lower than the rest of the world, like 4 percent instead of the 9 percent, which is a you know, huge difference. So this, this heat wave in Europe is driving natural gas prices higher. And if you're not one of those countries that's sitting on a lot of natural gas that's deliverable, you're feeling it worse than others. You mentioned that some folks are, are backing away from predictions of a recession. Are you one of them? People talk about a soft landing, which I don't really know what that is. I mean, it sounds better than a hard landing, I guess. Uh, but what are they talking about exactly? Yeah, they're, they're expecting a slowdown. Now, again, here's where you have to get into these boring definitions. A recession literally is two straight quarters, so six straight months of economic contraction, meaning the, 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 the dollar value or the value of, of the gross domestic product it, it reduces two quarters in a row, so six months straight of that kind of a reduction. I don't think we're going to get there, but I do think we are going to have a reduction from where we were just a few months ago. But there's going to be some people who are really going to feel the pain. If, you, if you're in a business where you really need natural gas, where you have a natural gas-fueled factory, for example, yeah, you're going to have a recession. You're going to have to lay people off. But if you're in a high-tech business that isn't in manufacturing something, maybe you're, 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 you're providing a tech support or something that isn't a manufacturing-based part of the economy, you could do very well right now. So it's Personal a, economies. Yeah. Look, you're, you're singing our tune, Jake. Absolutely. We always talk. I mean, Gene particularly always talks about personal economies, and you're exactly right. How it's going to feel is really what are your personal circumstances and how it's going to feel to you. We've got to pause right there, take a short break. Thanks for joining us, and um, we hope that you come back and join us again soon. People talk about liking a good sale. Well, I guess some stocks are on sale right now. But what should your strategy actually be? Because it's also kind of a chaotic time. You're listening to Everyday Wealth. We're back right after this short break. 
It's no secret the market's been volatile, and now we're hearing talk of the R word, recession. With all this uncertainty, one thing's clear. It's a great time to talk to an experienced wealth planner. At Edelman Financial Engines, we'll show you smart steps you can take in today's market and mistakes to avoid. Move forward with confidence. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to connect with a wealth planner. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and today I am joined by Brian Leslie. He's an Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner from Omaha, Nebraska. Jean is out this week. She is on vacay. So Brian is, I guess, my acting right-hand guy, which I appreciate. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Soledad. Of course. Now, for a couple of weeks, many weeks, more than a couple of weeks, a lot of weeks, we've been talking about uh, markets being down and what that means specifically for investors. Last week, we were talking about the emotional side of just watching your balance drop and drop and drop. And if anybody missed, by the way, last week's show, you can download it at planefe.com. Just go to the Everyday Wealth page and download it or or go wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So this week, I thought, Brian, we would focus on action and get very, very tactical for people. I know it's not uncommon for investors when things get tough to kind of um, do two things, right? Either you put your head in the sand because you don't want to make a mistake, or you do things that are kind of rash and crazy because you're afraid of, of inaction. Is that basically what you see? Pretty much. I was just kind of joking the other day. Uh, it seems like of late, I felt kind of like William Wallace from Braveheart, that scene where the English are coming down the hill on their horses and, and he's telling everybody to hold the line and steady and, you know, don't, don't give up. But yeah, it feels a lot like that. And I think that's our role as a planner, though, is to kind of play this fire break between our clients and maybe some bad decisions. I don't know if you have a good example for me, but what kinds of rash decisions have you historically seen people make? Because I feel often that people, they don't like the feeling of inaction. So they feel as if if at least you're doing something that's better than not doing anything at all, which, of course, is often not accurate. Taking action gives us that sense of control. Like we have we have our arms around it. It, it, Quite frankly, at times it may be a false sense of control. Um, but the natural reaction for, for many investors, especially when things are moving down, is, is to abandon ship, right? Abort, abort mission. But we have to recognize if we allocated any money to the stock market, we should have realized from the giga that the market doesn't move up in a straight line. And I think I want to come back a little bit to that William Wallace point because, you know, if, if your planner is telling you the same thing and essentially telling you to hold the line, it's okay for you to ask why. They should be able to explain why to you because sometimes the answer is not to hold the line. It actually is to make adjustments. But one of the big reasons why we tell clients to hold the line is because you absolutely should not be trying to time the market. The odds just are not in your favor. What I mean by that is when we look at the data from 2007 through 2021, the S&P 500 had an annual return of 8.4% a year over that entire time frame, had you just bought and held the entire time. If you remove the top 18 days, the best 18 days of market performance, now keep in mind there were 3,775 days during that time frame of which the market was open. If you were sitting on the sidelines for the best 18 days, you missed out on the entire return generated. In other words, that 8.4% turns into 0% per year. 
Think about what that can do to your financial plan. And that's why it's important to work with a planner. If you don't have one, or if you're not happy with one that you have, give us a call, 833-PLAN-EFE or planEFE.com. When you try to time the market, you got those two decisions that you got to get right. The first decision is the decision to get out. The second decision is really where most people screw it up, and that is when to get back in. Because oftentimes the market makes a bottom at the darkest of hours, and, and you're usually pretty happy you got cash at those times. For most people, they're generally not looking to get in at those times. And so, you know, as you think back through those top 18 days that if you missed, you know, and reflect like, when did those days come? Eight of them occurred during the 2008 global financial crisis. And six of them occurred back in 2020 during COVID. Like these weren't smooth sailing times. In other words, these biggest up days came at the darkest of hours. As we think about giving listeners some actionable items to take away from the show, I think the first thing I would tell them before they're about to, to make a dramatic change with their investments is go back and review your financial plan. That should be step number one. And, you know, I, I think if you call your advisor and simply, you know, say, hey, I'm a little concerned about this market, and they say, hold the line, I think you need to start asking a few more questions. Because when you built your financial plan and you designed your investment strategy to, to coordinate with that, you know, you went through and, and, and it was based upon, or at least for us as we build plans, we're looking at a client's income, what their expenses are, what other assets do they have available? When are they trying to achieve their goals? What's the time frame this money can be invested? And once we have those, then we can start allocating investments once we know the time frame for which they can remain invested. Sometimes those things change, right? If your income's change, well, listen, your likelihood that you are going to need your investments now to live off of has probably certainly increased. So the, the point I'm making here is we have to really look back at your financial plan to say, should there be some changes that take place, but it's not predicated on what the market is doing and trying to just catch the ups and downs of the market. It's really predicated on, as we've always talked about, what's that personal economy look like for that individual? Right now, lots of people have excess savings, obviously. I mean, we know in the pandemic because we couldn't leave our homes for the most part. We certainly weren't traveling, although I think travel uh, to some degree is, is, is back. But there's lots of excess savings. Are you you know, what are people supposed to do with those excess savings? Sit on them at this moment, put them into the market? How do you think about that? Moody's Analytics came out with a report saying that Americans overall had an excess savings amount of about $2.7 trillion. Like, that's a lot of cash. While I recognize that some people are struggling, there's also a lot of people that are sitting on some cash. And if you recognize that you're not going to be needing that cash or not expecting to need that cash in the short term, you might want to consider getting some of that money to work in the market during this decline and use it as an opportunity. And I think, you know, reframing it as opposed to, you know, panic, think of this as an opportunity. The other thing too, and one of this comes back to some of the mistakes I've seen over the years is a lot of people will stop contributions altogether and it just doesn't make sense. Stop contributions to their 401k, you mean? Yeah, exactly. To things like their retirement. Well, I think the common thought is, why do I keep throwing good money after bad? 
especially if nothing's changed with the income, nothing's changed with your expenses and, and your, your financial plan is still on course, you might even think about ratcheting up those retirement contributions. You often talk about dollar cost averaging, which is the sort of the strategy that allows you to stay in the market in a way that I think is less emotional. I think the biggest thing that dollar cost averaging does is you're not playing the stock market every morning trying to figure out, hey, is this the day to buy? Is this the day to sell? You're just putting it in automatically, same day of the month, same amount, and you're not even thinking twice about it. So number one, it's probably helping your investment performance, but number two, it's also helping your mental sanity. So number one, the why of the strategy. Number two, analyze what has actually changed before you do anything. And then number three, figure out what you're going to do with your extra cash and maybe start by thinking about you know, putting more in, even at a time when every fiber of your body is saying, run, run and hide. Remember, your financial plan dictates what your investment plan should look like. If you're flush with cash, get some of it invested. Think of this market decline as an opportunity, not a, not a time to panic. But I, I think we got to be careful about what we buy as well. With volatile markets and talk of recession, you may be wondering what to do next. We can help. At Edelman Financial Engines, you'll find experienced wealth planners who can help you uncover potential opportunities and avoid costly mistakes. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to connect with a wealth planner. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. So today we're getting tactical and talking about what people can do in a bear market. And so far we've discussed continuing to invest, take advantage of lower prices. You talked a little bit about dollar cost averaging. And I want to continue this conversation. But but you'd say, you know, put your cash to work. And of course, everybody, whether you subscribe to them or not, you get some kind of letters or, you know, or, or you watch financial shows, right, where they say, these five stocks will save your portfolio from inflation. So where, where do you put your cash to work? What do you recommend? And, and are there really stocks that can save your portfolio from inflation? I think everybody wants to pick that, that hot stock, that one that doubles or triples or quadruples in a relatively short period of time. But the problem is the odds are not in your favor. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we, like, we've all heard that like stocks outperform bonds, right? And, and like most of us recognize that. But keep in mind that statement applies in aggregate in, in regards to stocks in general across the board. But, but in reality, a lot of individual stocks actually don't even outperform T-bills, short-term government securities. There was a study conducted by Hendrik Bessenbinder, and I probably screwed up his name, so Hendrik, if you're listening, my apologies. <laughs> but he's a professor at Arizona State at the W.P. Carey School of Business. In this study, he concluded that the entire return of the stock market going back to 1926 can be attributed to just the top 4% of companies. The other 96% had you invested in them, that portfolio would have essentially just achieved the rate of return had you put the money in T-bills. And so a very small portion of the returns of the market came from a few very high flyers. And it, it kind of ties into our discussion earlier about how market returns in general come in very short periods of time. The point I'm making here is if you're going to have this strategy of buying individual stocks and hoping to pick the winners, the odds aren't there. 
you could look at the data and say, watch this, hold my beer. I'm going in to pick the 4% winners. But That sounds like a really good strategy, by the way. I want the 4% winners. How do I get that? <laughs> well, that's, that's the problem is it's, it's, it's extremely difficult. And I think, quite frankly, this explains why routinely we see that most actively managed investment strategies by the professionals underperform the overall market. And and keep in mind, this is professionals who have incredible resources. What about Joe Smith listening to this show in his car, who's got a portfolio of individual stocks? You you have to ask yourself, if, if you're Joe Smith choosing those individual stocks, what edge do I have? So then when you say, okay, put the cash to work for you, where are you saying we should be putting that cash to work for us? It comes back to you could try to pick that top 4%, or you could just buy the entire thing. The 100%. Are you going to have some of the 96 that, quite frankly, don't do much? Yeah. But that small amount that you've gotten, the 4%, will perform so well that that's where the market returns come from. And one of the core underpinnings of our investment strategy is to diversify. When you think about how you're allocating your investment dollars, you got to look to your financial plan because that will tell you how long those dollars can remain invested. So the money that you have for long-term that you're not expected to use in the next five years, great. You can put those in long-term investments. If it's money you expect you're going to need in the next two years, you should not be using long-term investments for short-term dollars. So the idea here is, okay, if you're going to spread your assets out and you're going to hold a little bit of everything, keep in mind the idea of diversifying is not to just hold a bunch of different things that all move up at the same time and they all move down at the same time. Because if you got a hundred different things and they're all doing that at the same time, going the same direction to the same amount, you're not diversified. You just got junk spread everywhere. The idea of being diversified is that you're going to have exposure to different asset classes that are moving and performing at different times. That means if you just leave them alone, one asset's probably going to start to gobble up the rest of your portfolio because it's performing better than the laggards. And this is where rebalancing comes into play. To the point earlier of just hold the line, like sometimes you shouldn't be holding the line. Sometimes you should actually be doing something during these market declines. And that's something we've been doing for our clients, rebalancing. Rebalancing is a risk management tool. You're selling outperforming assets and using the proceeds to buy into some of the underperforming assets that haven't done quite as well. This can be difficult if you don't have the technology or the resources. I I remember when I first got into the industry, Uh, I used to have to build an allocation in a spreadsheet. Whenever we wanted to review it, I had to go back and manually update all of the numbers of the things that we wanted to have money allocated to and calculate, well, what percentage of the overall portfolio does this one position make up? And that would tell us whether or not the position was over allocated or under allocated and whether or not we should be buying more to it or selling some from it. As a professional, we do have the resources and the technology where most investors that are doing it themselves don't have that. Rebalancing isn't just selling off things that have gone up and buying into things that have gone down. Sometimes both things have gone down, but they may not have gone down to the same extent. If one has gone down more, that means, of course, by law of averages, it's less of your portfolio than it otherwise would have been. But that seems completely counterintuitive, right? How does that make sense? Completely counterintuitive, right? Make it make sense to me, Brian. Make it make sense. Think about what's happened this year. Year to date, from January 1st, the best performing asset class in the S&P 500 has been the energy sector, which is probably no surprise to listeners, right? They're looking at what they're putting into their gas pump, and they certainly understand why energy is up. 
Now, the worst performing sector this year is consumer discretionary. Okay, so you got energy doing really well and consumer discretionary doing pretty poorly. But here's the thing. In the last month, it's completely flip-flopped. In other words, energy in the past month has gone from the best performing asset class to one of the worst performing asset classes. Year-to-date, energy is up 30%. Consumer discretionary is down 26 But if we just start to look at the last month, well, something's changed. Consumer discretionary is now up almost 11%, where energy is down 1% to 2%. This is where working with a professional can really come into play. I build an allocation plan based upon a client's financial plan. Then we look to maintain it. And the thing is, we can use technology to help us out here. We'll set parameters on the allocation that say, okay, here's what I want to have for Joe Smith. But when this thing deviates by more than 5% or so, it sends my trading team an alert and they'll go back in there and they'll rebalance. But that's very difficult for an individual to do because it's extremely manual. They don't have the resources and the technology that my trading team has. So, you know, if you're listening at home, if you want help, give us a call. 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. I think that's a really good example, right, of just, one, being unable to time the market, and number two, making sure that you're just rebalancing. You often say that a good plan is based on inputs. What are you talking about? Like, what inputs exactly? Yeah, you have to take a look at your situation and understand, okay, when am I going to need these dollars? What's my current income? What are my expenses? Are those expenses being covered by the current income? Or am I expecting to have to supplement if I'm retired potentially or near retirement? Am I expecting to have to supplement some of those other income sources like pensions or Social Security uh, by taking some withdrawals from my investment portfolio and these assets that I've accumulated? If you know you're in that position or going to be in that position shortly, you need to be preparing for it. And your allocation should reflect it. In other words, the money you expect to need here in the short term should not be allocated to investments where you're going to have to deal with 20, 30, 40, 50 percent declines. Because quite frankly, although they're not fun, it is normal for the market to have declines like what we're experiencing right now. Yeah, it's a good example of why you need experts to kind of walk you through and not just go on your gut of something's doing well, keep following that wherever it goes, because obviously it doesn't last forever. So thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. You bet. You know, those three takeaways. Number one, go back to your financial plan, see if anything's changed. If not, okay, maybe we should think about investing some cash, use this decline as an opportunity, not as a time to panic. And lastly, you know, think about rebalancing. You really need to take a look at your portfolio. And if you need help doing that, give us a call. 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. Brian, thank you so much. Great to have you on the show this week. Very much appreciate you breaking things down into those simplistic terms, uh, giving our listeners action items as well, and and the why behind it, which I think is really important. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be kicking off a new segment. It's called Investing Sense. Jean and I sat down with Dr. Wei Hu right before Jean left on her vacation. We're going to be running that segment in just a moment. In today's volatile market, you might be tempted to sit things out, thinking, I'll just wait until the market calms down. Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner to learn more about the risks of market timing and other potentially costly mistakes. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. That's 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. Every week, as you know, we bring on to the show experts from Edelman Financial Engines to talk about topics that have a material impact in growing and preserving and building personal wealth. Earlier in the show, Brian Leslie, a wealth planner from Omaha, Nebraska, walked us through 
what people can specifically, tactically, tangibly do in a bear market. Really great insight there. However, lots of times we discover through conversations that it's not always about knowledge. Often it's just about behavior, what we're doing right, what we should be doing, and sometimes what we should really, really stop doing. And given how hard it is sometimes to make behavioral adjustments or to even recognizing that you're doing something that is just crazy and wrong behaviorally, we thought it might be a good idea to tackle a monthly segment focused in this area. We're calling it Investing Sense. And this month, we're welcoming back to the show Dr. Wei Hu, Vice President of Financial Research for Edelman Financial Engines. Jean and I sat down with Wei just before Jean left on vacation. Hey, Wei, great to see you. Hi, Jean Soledad. Great to be with you again. It's been a while since we've talked. It has. Good thing it, nothing's been happening. I was going to say, luckily, it's just been a cakewalk for everybody in investing, so not a problem at all. <laughs> no, not a problem, unless unless you stop to think about the fact that, you know, the markets, they've been a little crazy, and we have record inflation, and we have rising interest rates, and sometimes... We go into days where it just feels like panic. But if you're old enough, I know that you scratch your head and you think, why is this? You know, we've been through this time and time again. What is it that gets us to make a mess of situations that we've been through before? Yeah, well, it does come down to what we do as human beings. Academics and practitioners have done a lot of the math behind investing for decades, and we've kind of figured out what people should do. But people aren't robots. We don't follow textbook rules. And unfortunately, that means that we make mistakes. And one of the things that we've seen a lot of psychological research in and economic research in is documenting the behavioral errors that people make to take them off of the path of the good solutions. And one of the things that's been found is a phenomenon called narrow framing. What is that? The shorthand of it is failing to see the big picture. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. Our brains are wired in a certain way to be able to focus on certain things. So it's, it's almost sometimes like tunnel vision can be great for some things. Uh, you know, if there's a, a tiger that's threatening you, it's really nice to have tunnel vision on that tiger. But when it comes to long-term things like investing, it's good to have the long run in mind and the bigger picture in mind. What ways have you seen people, you know, pulled off their, their investing path? You know, so, so we're in a bear market, which means technically that the stock market uh, has fallen by 20% from its most recent peak from early January to, uh, I think, middle of June, it entered the bear market. And so people tend to focus on that. And the financial media and the mainstream media has latched onto that and stories of recession and all the bad news that, that may occur and, and that is occurring with inflation as well. And so people are steeped in bad news and, and they're steeped in very recent news. And so what they're failing to see is if you look at just the stock market, for example, uh, just to keep it somewhat narrow for a second. So th this is a little bit of narrow, narrow frame, but getting a little bit wider. If you look at longer term stock market, let's just say if you took the last five years, so going back from middle of this year back to middle of 2017, the S&P 500 hasn't done poorly. It's actually returned something like 73% over that five years. 
So if you've been a somewhat longer-term patient investor, you would have done well by investing in stocks. If you go even longer term, over 10 years, the return of the S&P 500 has been 238%. Your investment would have more than tripled in that 10-year time frame. People easily forget that investing for stocks is a long-term proposition and that it has delivered over the last decade. Now, there's no promises and there's no guarantees that it'll continue with very healthy returns going forward. But over the long run, over most 10-year periods, and especially over most 20-year periods, the, the stock market has delivered healthy returns. Can I just ask how we get ourselves not to do this? Yeah, I think there's two ways of widening your focus. Uh, one is to combat just looking at the most recent experience. And, and that's actually another psychological bias, which is recency bias. And then it's important not just to look across longer periods of time, but to look at more of your investments, first of all. So, for example, recognize that there are hopefully cash and bonds also in your portfolio. And now bonds, for example, haven't done well this particular year. In the first half of the year, the, the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index was down about 10%. But that's too narrow again. So if you look a longer term, if you go back to 2020 and 2019, that same bond index delivered returns of 75 and almost 9% in 2020 and 2019. We forget that really easily. So recognize that your portfolio includes a lot of other things going into it. And then broaden it again when you're investing. Investing is not the goal. The goal is not to pile up your money and try to beat other people in terms of your annual returns. The goal is to get to a good retirement. And that has a lot of other ingredients to it. So it depends on, obviously, how much money you have saved already, how much you're going to save in the future, what your desired income is in retirement, what your existing sources of retirement income are, like social security, pensions, part-time jobs, maybe even rental income from a property you might own. And then other things like how long you might live, where you're going to live, taxes you're going to pay, and then how much your portfolio grows is one of the ingredients to that. But notice there's a ton of other things beyond your investment returns that matter here. So it's natural to feel down about portfolio performance. But again, focus on whether you're on track to achieve the goals that you have set out uh, and whether your, your plan is still intact. It, I mean, it sounds to me like you're saying... At the end of the day, it's the data that's going to help you be sane about how you're thinking about it. Because the minute you hear that your returns are 238% if you look over the last 10 years, right, suddenly you start thinking like, oh, okay, I'm not just going to think about yesterday or the day before or the last couple of weeks. You know, we really need to think broadly. It's a strategy and a long-term strategy that you hope pays off at the end because you've done your best to navigate it. Yeah, as human beings, we're all similar in that we suffer from these biases, but the solutions aren't necessarily identical for different people. So data is great for people who have spent their lives understanding data. For some people, more data is just going to confuse them more. And it's not just that more data or less data, it's which data do you look at? Are you looking at whether your plan is still intact versus what specific return did you get on your 10 investments in your portfolio? So not all data is equally relevant, in other words. 
And specifically, way to Soledad's point, because she's she's right. We can't help ourselves but try to measure up. All we do is compare. We like to know that we're doing better than the people at the next desk or the people in the next house. And that can be really, really dangerous. At the end of the day, it sounds like if you really want to think about your own situation, you actually have to open the, the camera aperture and figure out what your values are. You know, what's your retirement goals? What do you want to get to? Do you want to live in a place where your family can visit? Do you want to live in an island somewhere? Because that's what you need to aim for. And and making sure that you're keeping that in mind rather than, you know, competing with the, the Joneses. Right. So it, it's a little bit ironic because we're talking about narrow framing where people look at too few things. But in a sense, comparing yourself with the Joneses or trying to keep up with the Joneses is too wide a focus. Like you're, you're saying, I want to compare myself to all these other people. And that's not the right answer either. So, you know, focus in on, on your situation uh, is the right thing. It's good advice. Thank you. I really appreciate that insight. My pleasure. That is our show for today. If you've got a question or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, just visit planefe.com and go to the Everyday Wealth page. You can download our podcast right there, or you can download it wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. A big thank you to Jake Novak and Brian Leslie and Dr. Wei Hu for joining us today. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Listen in each week to hear fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help you elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com. Find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.